0: Today on Sagittarian Matters, we give advice on grief, moving, comics, and more, plus the world premiere of Vegan I Don't Think So Honey, with very special guest, graphic memoirist Will Betke Brunswick. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Hello from the Sagittarian Matters social distancing studios in Tahunga, California. Listeners, before I get to our show today, I want to stop and acknowledge the shocking wave of anti-trans legislation that is currently ripping through America. It feels overwhelming to watch, and yet we have to keep talking about it. Please stay engaged. Someone online told me Talk to every cis person you know about it, including conservative family. I say do that and donate and make phone calls. Don't let this happen in the dark. If you are looking for some places to track what's going on, I recommend the ACLU's website where they are tracking what's going on in every state that is proposing this kind of legislation. And also on Twitter, I follow Erin Reed. On Twitter, she is at Erin in the Morn M-O-R-N. And then... She has a substack, Erin in the Morn, E-R-I-N in the M-O-R-N. Erin has been tirelessly tracking, cataloging, and speaking out against these bills, and following her and supporting her work is a great way to stay up to date. That's it. We will be talking about this more very soon, but in the meantime, please enjoy this episode that has vegan food, comics, grief, and more with Morgan and, well, Bedki Brunswick. Morgan is a frequent contributor to Sagittarian Matters. She's the former purveyor of Portland's Dovetail Bakery, and she loves dry, crunchy foods more than anyone on Earth, including parrots. Morgan sent me this unsolicited vegan food review to tell you about a very special non-dairy creamer. Now, please enjoy Morgan.
1: For you today, I have tasted Four Sigmatic Balance flavored functional creamer. It's original coconut flavored coconut based dairy free gluten free with ashwagandha and MCT oil. Okay, so First impressions, you open up this little, you know, canister and it's like chunky and funky and has a weird little pre measured scoop, like it's protein powder or something medicinal, maybe because that's what it's supposed to be. And so it's like not appealing. You're not like, ooh, coffee. It's like, oh, wait, I've got to take some scoops today. I got to get my scoops in. And so then you scoop it in and I I was like, I'm going to do two sips of coffee because I don't want to overcommit myself in case this goes south. Um, And it took three scoops, pre-measured scoops of the creamer to like even make it seem like there was any creamer in it at all. So I'm like, this is not boding well for these future sips. And then um, it was like chunky and weird. So, you know, I mean, I don't know if you like to chew your coffee. I usually just like to do sipping. But so I kind of chew my way through this, like not very creamy, two sips of coffee. And um, the overwhelming flavor is chunky coconut which maybe sounds good, but it's actually not. I challenge you to try. And then that monk fruity flavor of stevia. I don't know who likes this flavor. I still haven't figured it out. I've never met a person passionate about stevia or monk fruit. Um, and, like all I could do was just try to rub my tongue against the roof of my mouth to try to get the flavor off, you know, like you just wish you could rewind time and undo it unfortunately, I couldn't I haven't figured out just yet so um, really, my motivation for purchasing this product was because I'm just would love a vegan alternative to it is vegan lairds, um which we all know I'm just not a fan i can't can't get behind his uh you know, gender roles stance um, and just him, this fake aquamins is of invented vitamins from the ocean or just t- take the market by storm, and I just refuse. I cannot do it um, so I was like, well, maybe these little mushroom mushroom company will it's not little <laughs> well uh. Take the world by storm. Um, unfortunately, they haven't nailed it yet. So, challenge is still out there. A vegan powdered creamer that's actually delicious. Please, no monk fruit, no stevia. Jam, some mushroom is in there. That's fine with me. I'll drink a dang mushroom any dang day. But, um, yeah, it's so bad. So, it is organic it doesn't help it also there's a mushroom that i don't know about tremella i don't know tremella mushroom extract oh great get me going anyway alas nicole it's a thumbs down it's two thumbs down um tongue down as well (laughs) so just an unsolicited food review for you coming coming from up north good luck out there everyone enjoy your coffee
0: will becky brunswick is a cartoonist and graduate of the california college of the arts mfa and comics program will's debut graphic memoir a pros and cons list for strong feelings is available right now from tin house or wherever you get your books you can follow Will online on Instagram at TransboyComics. Now, please enjoy my talk with longtime listener, first time caller, Will Becky Brunswick. Will Becky Brunswick, welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Woo! Longtime listener, first time caller. That's me. It's great to have you here.
2: Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. I am a long time listener and a long time backlog listener. I think I've got them all.
0: Do you have a favorite episode? Ooh. Or episodes or guests? Um, I think the one
2: where Beth Pickens is talking about like MFAs and like how to how to get things out of an MFA. I listened to that one a lot
0: because <laughs> you got an MFA. That's where we met.
2: Yes. Yes. And so I was like, this is, this one is speaking to me. And I think that I can't remember if that's the same one that she also talked about grief, but it was like, there was one episode that I've listened to over and over. Cause I think it was just like,
0: this is my life. What was the best advice for MFA students that she gave that like, what stuck with you?
2: Mm. I mean, I think what stuck with me is your phrase of like, suck the vegan marrow out of the bone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was like, okay, I need to take every possible opportunity I can while doing this. And I I mean, I tried to, it definitely meant that I did some things like flew to Seattle for short run, because it was like, if you want a table at a convention come and I had never even been to any events and I was like okay yes I'm saying yes to everything and that was my first ever like event
0: my god you're like Shonda Rhimes she wrote a book called the year of yes where she just (laughs) after years of saying no she decided to say yes to every opportunity
2: the MFA of yes
0: (laughs) The, the MFA year of yes but then you get out of your MFA and then it's like the world of no, where you're like, yeah. no, leave me alone. I have boundaries. <laughs> well, you're here in honor of your book that just came out in the past six months.
2: November pro- 15th,
0: November 15th, November fifteenth, 15th, 2022, which I have here on the side of my arc, um, a pros and cons list for strong feelings. Which is your graphic memoir. How would you describe it?
2: Um, I would describe it as a graphic memoir of of love and like impending grief, but also grief because you know my mom is going to die from day one. So um, yeah, but love and family and like quirky. I feel like I just have a lot of adjectives for it, like quirky and touching and cute and sad and funny and painful.
0: Did you go into, so the MFA programming room was a comics MFA program, we should say. And a lot of people work on a thesis project there. And sometimes it's like their wizarding world, they've been carrying around since high school, that they're like, finally, I got to strut my stuff. But did you go into the program knowing this was the book you wanted to write?
2: No, I didn't even go into the program thinking that I was going to be a cartoonist necessarily. I went into the program because I was like at a particular low point in my life and I was like, okay, now if I could do anything, what could I what would I do because nothing really matters because I'm I'm at, I'm at the bottom. And so yeah. then I was like, well, I would go to school for comics because all I love in this world is comics and I don't know where this will take me. Maybe I'll be a cartoonist, maybe I'll be a comics professor cuz I was working as a math teacher, so I was like teaching is what I know how to do. Like I'll just switch from math teaching to comics teaching. But um then I got there and was like, "Oh yes, yes, I want to make comics. I'm a cartoonist. Look at me."
0: But then how did this project in particular like wave its hand at you?
2: Um I think it was like in me as a story and it was like in me as a story with a beginning and an end already that I wanted to write and share and and create and so it was I like I knew that was there I also was like considering i remember sitting with you considering like what if i listen to news podcasts and illustrate them as my thesis and you were like i, I don't think so because by the time <laughs> you create them that like the news will be such old news and i was like mm, good point good point
0: <laughs> i i'm happy that that that's that legacy can come with you you ended up drawing your comic in the form of penguins and this is something I've tried to tell people, but I feel like a little bit like you're like, I want to like parade you around and be like, look, I always try to talk people out of drawing humans, especially if they're new to drawing, because it's so punishing sometimes to draw humans or the humans look more cartoony than you want them to, or the proportions are weird. And it's like an ever evolving process. And then people get hung up and they hate their drawings. And just like, please just draw anything to get the story out of you. Anything that looks good to you. And you were like, I'm doing birds. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it. And then what advice did I give you about drawing birds? You
2: said, don't draw birds. (laughs) You said, no (laughs) one can relate to birds. Nobody cares (laughs) about birds. Birds don't share any emotion. Um, People don't think they're cute. They don't think they're cuddly. They don't know how to interact with them. Stick to mammals. Whatever you do, draw mammals.
0: (laughs) And then you drew (laughs) (laughs) the story of your mother's death you're doing penguins. And it moved me to tears. It's everybody I know who's read this book. It was so beautiful. And the penguins were so emotive and so warm and friendly and kind that every single person I know who's read this book was moved to tears and like, feels like it's a beautiful treasure that they have. So I feel very grateful that you did not take my advice.
2: I think it was good. It was good to get me to think about it and to push me and also helpful for me to be like, why do I relate to birds better than mammals? Like, like, I think that their lack of facial, cute facial expressions is actually like easier because there's fewer expectations. Like you and I were sitting down for a long time one day where you were trying to teach me facial expressions in cartooning and you drew like, hundred circles and we're like okay each circle has to have a different facial expression but if you get to cover half of each of those circles with a beak it's (laughs) (laughs) you're like already halfway there
0: but then you got become like an eyebrow wizard
2: yeah I did spend a lot of time with eyebrows and eye positioning like because at the very beginning the birds had dot eyes Mm. and then that character design had to change because it was really helpful to show like what they were looking at and sort of the, if they're looking down to look sad or looking to the side to give that like side eye glance.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, I do, as a vegan, so basically like this bird idea just came to me at some point because I was like, why don't people care? And also I'm telling listeners right now, my bias is that Will's vegan. And so I'm going to go there. I can go there freely uh, without feeling like I'm alienating or bullying you into a lifestyle that is not your own. But I just I've had that wonderance before as a vegan like why don't people care at all that chickens like that male chicks get ground up or like why don't people care that chickens are in such terrible situations or like turkeys are in such like why doesn't anybody care about birds and at some point I was like it's just cuz they're like reptiles. And so people can't connect, but like a mammal, someone could be like, "I looked into the beautiful eyes of a cow with its eyelashes, and then I swore never to eat red meat, just chicken." <laughs> and so, I, I feel like I've just tried to like rationalize in my mind this irrational thing of wow, people can like compartmentalize themselves away from animals.
2: Mm, yeah, I really like drawing reptiles and. And birds like I feel like I feel connected to them both because they're to me they're really cute animals like I think they're adorable and also I wonder like you saying that makes me wonder if the fact that I was raised a vegetarian I didn't ever do that like rationalization because from like my earliest memories it was just sort of like animals are not food like just in the same way that like cardboard isn't food
0: that's how I, that's how I feel when I'm at the store and there's like a rack of stuff that I haven't eaten for 30 years. I'm like, that's just not food.
2: Yeah. that's yeah. <laughs> so I don't think I ever had to like question, like, why would I eat a, a cow versus
0: mm.
2: alligator versus donkey yeah. versus chicken? Like I went through a vegan phase in middle school, but that was like, definitely 90s vegan where like what does that mean options were were a little on the painful side like um I mean I really appreciate that my parents were like okay fine we'll buy you the soy milk and the earth balance um at the special natural food store um but they weren't like super thrilled about it and so when I was like no I don't think this is my thing they were um happy to have me go back to being vegetarian but I mean, my partner's parents grounded him when he became vegan at 15. So,
0: and he was <laughs> you're like, grounded.
2: they were like, you're grounded. He was like, okay, <laughs> he was one of those people who like went around and put the like pita stickers on the meat in the supermarket. Um, so I I can't claim to be like that as awesome as he was at as young of an age. Cause I sort of just gave up because I didn't like the flavor of the silk milk.
0: I had a moment a few weeks ago where I was walking with some senior citizen neighbors as I want to do. And at, at my weathered vegan age of 26 years of being vegan, I don't proselytize because I just can't because it breaks my heart. When I tell someone a thing that is very meaningful to me and they're like, "Huh," oh, and then they take a bite of their sandwich. Like I just can't, <laughs> I can't do the thing anymore. So it's just like my thing. I, but my neighbors, I'm kind of also like a vampire though, where I'm like floating outside of your window. And if you invite me in, I'll come in. <laughs> and so the lady was like, she was visiting and she was like, we were talking and why do vegan, we were wondering, why don't vegans, uh, you know, drink dairy or eat eggs what's the <laughs> with them? What, what's their objection? And I was like, do you really want to know? She was like, yeah, we really want. I was like, do you really, really want to know? And then I knew I only had like two minutes. So I gave her like kind of the most dramatic version of the two minute speech about, you know, imprisoned animals getting just like raped and tortured and then murdered as opposed to just being murdered. And I, and then I had like such a shame hangover afterwards where I was like, oh my God, that was too much. Cause after I, after I said it, they were like, whoa, we were kind of just wondering if you were allergic or something. <laughs> and I was like, had such a shame hangover. I was like, those old people didn't want to know all that. They don't want to know all that. Why'd you have to tell them all that? But then last week, my neighbor was like, you know, I was thinking about what you said about vegans. And it really made a lot of sense to me. Wow. I never thought about it, but he's probably like 85 years old. I never thought about it before, but it really made a lot of sense to me. And then yeah. anyway.
2: amazing. Your lack of proselytizing. It, <laughs> it just came out of you at the right time in the right way.
0: You got to have your elevator pitch ready. Will,
2: for anything. I, I My partner, Eduardo, was the one who like, because I was vegetarian when we met, but not vegan. And he, we were like sort of going into it where I was like, well, but I lived on a farm and was getting my milk from the cow that was outside the window. And he was like, look, like, I'm just trying to create less suffering in the world. And that's one (laughs) sentence. I was like, okay, I'll be vegan. (laughs)
0: Damn, that is fair. That's a fair statement. That's huge. Do you tell your family members that now?
2: Um, no. I mean, my my family is not vegetarian anymore, which is like that's okay. That's their choice, and but they're like pretty chill about me being vegan. And at my dad's wedding, he made sure there was plentiful vegan options, which I felt really appreciative of. So
1: I think he's really
0: sweet trying. Yeah. And then you had a fully vegan wedding.
2: I did. <laughs> Which, no, no other options for anyone other than vegan.
0: Listening to Dr. Laura for years and reading Ann Landers and like old lady advice columns. There are so many, there's always a question of somebody saying we're paying for our kid's wedding, but they want it to, they want to have just a vegetarian wedding. And then Dr. Laura, or whoever's like, well, too bad. Because you're the parent and if grandma wants to eat a steak, there's going to be a steak and you need to tell those little brats to buck up. And every time I listen, I'm just like, I'm into torturing my family. I'm into <laughs> being like, everybody, you can eat broccoli for one day. You're going to be okay. You're not going to die. You could go home and eat a cheeseburger. Uh, enjoy the broccoli spread. Here's broccoli <laughs> three ways. This is my wedding. <laughs> I don't
2: think anyone suffered. I don't think that there was really like we got a few of the people who said things like, wow, like that sandwich made me think that I could eat a sandwich without meat. And I was like, okay, like, okay, I'll take it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's even that little thought being in there. Yeah. That's nice. Well, I have to get back to your book. I really can't talk to you about vegan stuff all day
2: oh me
0: too um okay so so you started this book you were drawing it doing penguins essentially in this book your mother is dying and you have a really lovely relationship with her I guess I want to know about the process of writing it like when you realized it was all in you
2: Yeah, so my brain is going two directions right now. One is that the process of writing it was thinking back on that, like, um, past Sagittarian Matters episodes of like, your art can depress you and or will depress you and that's okay and be ready for that and you can draw and cry all day, um, but it's still valid and it's still worthwhile or I don't know, sort of like that vibe. But I feel like one of the things that was surprising about it was that I actually, like, really enjoyed spending time with my mom through writing it. Like, I got to, like, definitely some days I was working on it and felt, like, devastated. And other days when I was working on it, I felt like I was like, oh, I get to go and have a conversation with my mom, which is something I haven't done in 13 years, which is something that I miss so much. And like now I'm reliving it and recreating it and drawing it and I get to be my nine-year-old self and she gets to be the mother in this moment and um, that was like this sort of wonderful surprise in terms of the process of making it and then the other thing that I was thinking about when you asked about that is like just the actual process of making it which was that like I started with the first, the first story in the book, which is our song was the first story that I made for the book. And that's like a memory of when we, when I was, um, like in elementary school and this other kid didn't want to ride in the car with us anymore. Cause we listened to books on tape instead of listening to the radio. Um, and that story was also part of a larger story of like, uh, like growing up and having my mom as a support. And um, like, because then that same year, I like traded my favorite Pokemon for like another Pokemon, thinking that it would like increase my social status at school. And um, the kid was like, yeah, I'll trade it for you. Like meet me at school this evening. And then like my mom drove me there. And of course the kid wasn't at the school that night and it was like the last day of school so like i never i knew i would never see it and my mom knew that it would never happen it was sort of like a losing of innocence moment <laughs> that actually has nothing to do with the the book that i created <laughs> but um that was the the start of it was just sort of thinking about my relationship with my mom when i was younger but the book itself actually is like structured around from when she was diagnosed to when she died which happened when i was in college so that was like i wanted to both give the backstory of my relationship with my mom uh and like the the current timeline relationship with my mom as she was dying
0: mm. it does it does feel like you like getting to spend time with your loved one getting to make comics about them yeah it's like a it's a full body practice
2: oh totally because you get to like dive into like what what was their facial reaction to this thing that you said and like how did they move their hands or when did they turn their head and look at you in that moment and like both actually what happened in the memory and like what you're imagining from it because i don't actually remember when i was 9 if my mom was facing one direction and then turned around or not
0: yeah it's a weird it's like a weird way of being present with them in a memory yeah like even though some of it is your brain kind of connecting the dots from having seen them so many times just like in a dream
2: yeah it does feel like i am a very vivid dreamer and it feels like the the like brain creating something that you are fully present in even if it is not actually real In this moment now, like I'm not actually in the same room as my mom because she's dead, but my brain can construct
0: that. Yeah. And make, and have it just be like a really warm time. Yeah. Of you guys being together. Wait, is the Pokemon story in here? No, that was. You didn't put, this is, we're getting bonus and bonus content on Sagittarian Matters exclusive yes
2: yes you are no that was it just sort of like ended up being more about Pokemon than about like me and my mom but now saying it to you I'm like oh that is that does say a lot about my mom she was like there and present for it but yeah the the whole thing didn't didn't make it in just the beginning part where the the other kid didn't want to carpool with us
0: I hate I hate those kids I hate that Pokemon (laughs) kid I hate that carpool kid I remember I had a carpool to Catholic school when I went there briefly in high school. And um, I remember like the song Sabotage came on by the Beastie Boys, which just has a lot of screaming and the girls and because I I was like, listen to the alternative station and all the girls in the carpool who were so stuck up were just like, whoa, like it was like I was like listening to like. Like the heaviest heavy metal, like I had requested to listen to just like death metal
1: and they were like.
0: (laughs) What's the matter with you? I hated the carpool girls. I wrote like angry poetry about them that my mom found later in, when she was searching my room at some point. I don't know why. And she was like, I was scared of you. <laughs> like, because my my poetry or whatever I had written about them was so angry. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. My
2: carpools were like, I mean, like it says in the book, we listened to books on tape, but like my family didn't listen to music, like, and we didn't have a TV. I was raised like very low on the pop culture. Like we listened to NPR or books on tape and like, that was it pretty much. <laughs> um, occasionally I would like if I was homesick from school, my mom would play like this documentary about the brain. Cause she was like a a community college professor and had to teach a psychology course. So I could like watch her documentary about the brain was like the one thing that we had to watch on VHS. So I just was always the kid who was, who was the the weird one in the carpool.
0: You were destined to be a weirdo.
2: Oh, they they made very (laughs) sure of that.
0: (laughs) I don't think that you had a different option.
2: No, not at all. And when I, my first introduction to music was my Jehovah's witness cousin who moved in with us when I was in sixth grade. And so like, he would turn down the station whenever like cussing came on, on the music.
0: Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I think I I had a, I don't know, I don't think she was Jehovah's witness. I had some kind of, um, fundamentalist Christian babysitter at some point and, Anuka's on the block song called Cover Girl has a little bit of a guitar solo in the beginning, and she turned it off. She was like, "I don't like heavy metal." We went to her friend's house, and she was like, "Oh, do you ooh, do you want a potted meat sandwich?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Potted What's-? meat." It's like, it. it's like cat food for a human. It was like, it was almost like spam, but like less, uh, less vivacious, like less charisma than spam. Like, you know, like spam seems like it has like a, like a form.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And this was like a, like a very processed meat. That was a texture of cat food, like wet cat food that they spread on like wonder bread. And then we're like, oh. and I was like, I want one. And then she made me one and I could not deal. <laughs> <laughs> Was, was like, this
2: pre-vegan.
0: Oh my God. This, yeah, this was when I was like eight
2: Okay. <laughs> eight or
0: nine. And I was like, what are you guys eating? I mean, don't leave me out. I love to eat whatever anyone's eating. <laughs> and then I was that like, it is
2: something <laughs> that I know about you. I feel like when, when I've been with you in person, if I'm like snacking on something, you were always like,
0: hmm, what, what's, what's over there. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Vargas, friend of the show. And I went to see golden girls live the other day. And some lady in front of me was eating tater tots. And I got one of those tater tots. <laughs> I was like, those are good. I and then bet she, you did. When she was done, when she was done eating them, she was offering the rest to her friends. And then she turned around and offered the rest to me. And I didn't <laughs> you take it out
2: the vibes. You were sending out the energy that was like, I am a tater tot vortex.
0: <laughs> that happened too when I went to see Lord of the Rings on opening night. Just the ladies in front of me, like I had got some of their popcorn. I I get to have like hungry dog energy of just like they're just sitting by your feet, just looking, but like, what is that?
2: no one has ever <laughs> no stranger has ever offered me food before
0: well she didn't I mean it's like you have to make the, you have to be like that looks good <laughs> <laughs> do some sniffing you have to do an audible you have to vocalize like I sure like one of those but <laughs> 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 my high school boyfriend would get so mad he'd be like just eat the whole thing and I'm like no I just wanted a bite
2: <laughs> oh I'm I'm I love the bite
0: I do. I just want to know what someone else is eating. I just want to know, like, what's what's going on. I mean, and I'll, they can not bite a mine, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Friend of the show, Beth Pickens does not share desserts.
2: Oh, that's and like a this, hard, hard boundary.
0: It's she'll she'll give a speech at the beginning of any meal, letting everyone know that she's not going to do that. And um, and you could see her kind of tense up when her dessert <laughs> comes, if anybody admires it <laughs> and she repeats her speech so everybody knows she's not gonna share it. But have no. I gotten a bite of her dessert before? Yes. Maybe I have. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have some advice questions. Uh, are you ready? Yes, they, I am. They have almost nothing to do with comics. No. <laughs> so, yeah, excited. Um, one second, just making sure there's no new ones. Well, okay. Dear Sagittarian Matters, do you recommend coming out publicly or do you support a one-on-one approach from coming out in Colorado?
2: Oh, Colorado. That's my my state.
0: That's your place. Well, I mean, what do you think?
2: I'm such a like, come out as safely as you can kind of person. So I think that if, if both feel equally safe, then I think it's like about your personality. Like, are you a, do you want to have a coming out party where you like descend a staircase wearing your favorite costume and everyone is like creating a gay cake for you and there's like con- queer confetti, then, then I think that is awesome. And I think also like, if it's, The kind of situation where um, you feel more comfortable in a one-on-one than like no pressure to have the party. Yeah. But I know that's not really an answer because it's mostly just like whatever you want.
0: (laughs) But it's true. It's gosh, there's I mean, there's so many schools of thought about it, but it just it really is however you feel safest. Like how you gotta make a living. You gotta be physically safe you know, at some point it might just feel like it's like more work to not come out than to come out. Mm-hmm. And so that might be the moment in you're like, if in your head, when you're doing your cost benefit ratios, there might just be a moment where you're like, this is requiring so much tap dancing around like my roommate, like my very good friend or like whatever things you're having to do to not come out. There just might be a moment where it feels like less of a pain for you to be like, it's my fucking girlfriend. Come on, come on. We all knew this was my girlfriend. (laughs) Yeah. There was that old Harvey Milk quote that I like that said, Everyone who can come out should come out because it will show people that we're all around them and that they know these people who are who they're affecting with jokes or voting or choices or whatever. And I do like that, but it is part of that. You have to remember the beginning of it is who can come out. So, like if you are living with your parents, if you are living in a situation where coming out could endanger that, endanger you for really any reason. If you don't feel safe, don't, no pressure from us. Oh, totally.
2: Yeah. I'm working with a researcher, Dr. Glenda Russell in Colorado, who like did a bunch of research after amendment two, which was in Colorado, like an anti-gay amendment. And she felt like the biggest thing was, for changing people's minds in her research was definitely just people coming out. And she also is one who emphasizes the, like, but your safety is most important. Do not forget that. And like, it depends on so many different factors and it is not like a, everyone's life improves because they come out kind of thing. It is about like what, what your situation is.
0: Yeah. For me, I came out to my friends in Portland before I came out to my family and I waited as long as physically possible until I felt like I was in one of those rock bottom moments of my life where I was like, I don't fucking care because I'm already like, I've already been stomped into the ground. So like, it actually, I'm not going to be able to tell if my mom stomps on me some more. And so I, I, I really took a long time of like having like good friend roommates. Oh, mom, I'm so upset. My roommate moved out. Oh, she was a really special friend, huh? She sure was. (laughs) I took a lot of that before I came out to my mom because I knew she's like a total maniac, Christian freak, not gentle, loving Christian freak, like total maniac, like fetus on a billboard or fetus on a sign outside of the abortion clinic person. Um, And so coming out to her, I knew wasn't going to be a picnic. And so it was something I really had to kind of steal myself for and do whenever I was ready to do it but it wasn't I wasn't like I just have to be honest with it wasn't that it was like she's got to find out sometime Mm -hmm. I guess now's the time yeah
2: yeah I think my parents were of the like we always thought kind of parents so it wasn't particularly hard to come out as queer to them because they were like Yep, (laughs) That's what we thought. My dad's response was, do you want to switch to a school that has more lesbians, like a different high school?
0: (laughs) That's nice. Like
2: "Like, that's nice, but no, like also (laughs) like, uh, I'm not sure how, you know, like what schools have the most lesbians. (laughs) around. How does your
0: dad have his finger on the pulse of that? (laughs) Of
2: the lesbian high schoolers? No idea, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) high school culture newsletter that he gets. (laughs) Yeah. I think that we did a great job answering that question. Okay. Dear Sagittarian Matters, hmm, do you have any wisdom about moving to a new city from moving to Maryland?
2: My car was stolen the night that I arrived in Denver. Totally. Welcome. (laughs) on my own (laughs) my first time moving by myself to a new city and I think that the that having to take public transportation uh as my only option to get to places was like a really good way of learning my way around the new city um because it meant that I did a lot of walking it meant that I did a lot of like um sort of just like spending time doing nothing like just (laughs) being like okay like my next bus doesn't come for an hour so i'm going to sit in this park and draw for an hour because uh that is my only option and so that was um i think a helpful thing and and i did not know anything i had never lived in a city that had like um a robust public transportation system before so i had to learn like um that once you find the bus stop you had to be on the correct side of the street like i didn't know things like that i also huh. didn't know that like i and, and i learned that from taking a bus all the way to the end of its line in the wrong direction cuz i thought i was on the right bus and i just figured like eventually it would get me there but then i got to the end of the line and they were like you have to get off and i was like this is the bus that will take me to the place and they're like the northbound version of this bus will take you to that place so i i definitely like learned a lot uh as a like later in life first time city liver.
0: I think that's I think having some kind of walking routine is a great way to learn a new place. Um how did they phrase it? Wisdom about moving to a new city. I mean I think walking, getting to know your neighbors so that you're not just like a total gentrifier being like, here I am. It's mine. Like (laughs) getting to know your neighbors. What's up with them? What do they want for the neighborhood? Like what's already happening in the neighborhood? Can you get into that? Like, can you kind of aid in a bed, their plan for the neighborhood or their thing, um, before you cruise in there with your own agenda? And know that some of the first people you meet may not be the people that are going to be your favorite people there for your whole life, but they just, just you're just getting there. You're just like feeling stuff out. When we all moved to Portland, me and my friends from Kansas City, we started, we invited people over for game nights. We hosted a lot of stuff. So like mm-hmm. we would meet someone on the street and be like, you look cool. Here's, you know, let's, I'll see you at a show or here, give me a flyer for some, take their flyer, go to the show, go to the party, say yes to a lot of things. Um. But we would have shows at our house or we would host events at our house. And then kind of I met people through that. But I always think volunteering at a place is a nice way to meet people. just want to get your foot in the door with the city.
2: Yeah. And sometimes it will be awkward rejections. Like one time I was like, "Okay, here I am, new city. I'm going to go up to these people that are at the track and like ask if I can join their track club. So I like waltzed up to them and was like, hi, I'm looking for a track club. Can I join? And they were like, tryouts were in May. And I was like, <laughs> okay, cool. Like next, next May I'll be there.
0: <laughs> so so I, how could you possibly run? Can I run behind you? No.
2: <laughs> so I definitely like had a lot of those moments where I was like, I'm putting myself out there and seeing what the universe says yes to, and then put myself out there. And the universe is like, not that one. <laughs> uh,
0: rejection was really God's protection there. You're- <laughs> How did you find your people? Um,
2: I went to a like like I was not particularly looking for support, but I went to like a trans support group. Um and then at the end of the trans support group, people were like, Hey, we're going to the diner. Anyone wanna come? And I was like, Yes, I would love to come to the diner. And then that same group was like, Hey, I'm going on Friday at four o'clock to like go dancing and I was like four o'clock I didn't mean to say four o'clock no one goes to dance
0: four Four o'clock we're going dancing the jitterbug
2: I think it was like 10 30 11 midnight
0: oh yeah two o'clock in the morning we're hitting the club (laughs) um
2: and I went dancing with them and so that was sort of like I used the established queer spaces to find some more queers to then like do social things beyond that Mm. yeah and I know they have like queer meetups for like making friends but uh the support group vibe actually (laughs) like was kind of helpful because I didn't I could come like and everybody was nice because you're like in a support group and everyone's like trying to be nice to you because you're in a support group yeah Um, and so that required a little less like um extrovert energy as like compared to going to the
0: picnic but it it is that's also the kind of thing of you want supportive people or you yeah. want people that are like acknowledging like hey we all have a struggle here we all yeah. are talking about it
2: totally no i'm not saying like i'm anti-support group No,
0: no, no you sound pro <laughs> support group okay <laughs> but that sounds like because like to me moving to a place i have to think about like what kind of people do i want to meet because like If you don't want to drink all the time, then you probably don't necessarily, or maybe not necessarily going to meet your best friend in a bar. Mm
1: -hmm. If you're
0: like actually, you know, a homebody, but so like those other kinds of things. Yeah. Sounds good. And, and, you know, also look and see like, who seems like a hub. There's kind of like some hubs every place. you know, like who seems like a hub, who seems like they know a lot of people. Do you like that kind of person that's around them? Maybe you could kind of hover around there and see.
2: Oh, totally. I went to like one Jewish group with like the person who invited me was not the person I was like going to be best friends with. But like then at the like Havdalah, I was like, oh, I would be friends with that person and that person and that person.
0: Yeah. Even in my mountain town that I live in and I walk with senior citizens, and sometimes I'm like, this is like such a weird, my new community is like such a ragtag group of people. Um. There's like the yoga lady and like the older guy and the libertarian, in the NRA hat, mm. and like the ambiguous person with the pit bull. They're just like a group of people that are like never otherwise would meet. And yet that's part of my neighborhood. That's part of my community. And the neighborhood reveals itself more and more because they all know all their neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so then more people come around and more people come around. And then you're like, oh, this is a real, I'm up in the web. Just yeah. like Get yourself in that web of humans somehow
2: totally i like i didn't really know that my neighbors that much but then for one of my book events they asked me for like a hundred addresses of people in boulder to send out postcards to and i was like uh panic panic but i was like well i know all my neighbors addresses because their addresses are like one number away from mine and then three of my neighbors showed up at my book event like i was not expecting
0: that's really sweet yeah Today's episode is brought to you by Jenna Luna, Kale McHurst, and Joey Soloway. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, especially and in particular producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $10, $20, $5 billion, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. Or this Justin, he's got a Venmo. Hell Books. That's H E. Double Hockey Sticks Books. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it, too. Don't be scared. That's just Panyo's speaking voice. Well, I wanted to ask you, do you have any advice around grief? Has anything been helpful to you? Your book deals in grief. You've, you know, you're on this book tour, Traveling in Grief. Do you have, what has been helpful to you and, or what has been unhelpful to you?
2: Mm. Um, yeah, I've been working on new comics about grief, about grief now, like 13 years later. And I think like one thing that's been helpful is just remembering that like, um, I think that I walk around sometimes thinking like, why isn't everybody crying because of all of their dead loved ones all the time? And um, I think like, people do feel sad still. (laughs) Like, just like, they're maybe not crying, or maybe they are still crying. And like, uh, I just like, you know, the don't compare your insides to people's outside sort of like, all of those pieces are just what i have to remember because i feel so sad that my mom is dead and it has been 13 years and i don't feel less sad and uh now more people are dying and or like max my dog now there's grief about max and grief about my mom and i am like just have so much sadness and i'm sometimes like floored that the rest of the world is not like just having tears streaming down their face all the time. Um, But it's a, okay. If I do, but also like often I don't, Oh no, I'm rambling.
0: No, no, Um, no, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) I
2: I think sometimes I have this vision of like, everybody has this like grief that looks like they cry. um, When they look at a picture of their dead mom on their dead mom's birthday and they eat a chocolate, that reminds them of her and there's like a nice tear and then they light a yard site candle and then they move on with their lives. And I feel like my grief is like throwing the yard site candle on the floor and the glass shatters <laughs> and like there's snot running down my face for three days and it's not even my mom's birthday. It's just a random day. And like every time my mom's birthday comes around my sister texts me like, it doesn't have to be a good day. It doesn't have to be a meaningful day. You don't have to think about her. At all today, if that's what you got to do. And like that kind of thing is helpful for me, just letting it be like a little bit messy and a little bit ugly, even though it's been 13 years or th- for 13 years, it's been like that.
0: Yeah. I think that's, I mean, I think it's helpful. I think it's helpful to get all the angles on grief and that it's not, it's not just that you're like setting a little paper boat to sail and going, thank you for the experience, mom. And then like going on, like I had a, th- I had a therapist I went to specifically for the grief after my grandmother died. And I was like, (gasps) and she just kept saying like, but aren't you glad it happened? (laughs) But aren't you glad it happened? And like, that was really as deep as she could go. And I was like, you don't understand how this feels in my body. I can't like, yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. I'm glad it happened. So glad (laughs) I got to meet her. And, but, and like, what the fuck? Like, I just was like, I was like walking around with like all these broken pieces. Like I was like the broken ceramic pottery. And it wasn't like the moment where like the gold, you you put it back together and the gold is there where the pieces were broken and it's a beautiful object. It wasn't that. It was like the bloody broken mess. And I was like, that's not helpful right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's nice to hear about the mess.
2: Yeah, I feel like the mess is like, Always where I'm at, but then also remembering that it's not always where I'm at. Like, I can be in the mess and then, like, a week later, I'm doing okay. And, like, I can think about my mom fondly with, like, nice sparkles floating around. And then, like, and people are like, grief isn't linear. And I'm like, yeah, it isn't linear, but it's also not, like, a spiraling path outwards. It's, like, a big scribble of broken pieces. Like, it's too, it's not just, not linear. Um, yeah. And I think that like with that image of like the broken pot, like that makes me think of like my friend, like coming to me with a bag of oranges and being like, we're going to go in the woods and you're going to throw these oranges at the trees until they like, like smash open, and then I have a bowl for you, and you can throw the bowl at the tree too, you know? And I was like, This is my grief. Like it is, it is physically breaking and smushing and more like that. And and my most recent therapist was like, Tell me about your relationship with your mom. And then I just sobbed for the whole rest of the hour. And then the next session, she was like, so you were going to tell me about your relationship with your mom. And I just burst into tears (laughs) and cried the whole second (laughs) one.
0: And she was like, okay. (laughs) Any words or just crying?
2: No words, just crying. I think the only words I said was like the inside of my mask is filled with snot. And Uh she was like, okay. That's such a bummer. 2022,
0: 2023 grieving problem.
2: Oh yeah, it's not in the mask. Just
0: not in the mask. Just like wet mask, <laughs> wet mask with snot inside.
2: It's like are, like the new self-conscious is like is the. Can you tell the outside of the mask is wet from all this snot inside, or like is the mask <laughs> thick enough? Like- it's just
0: full. Like you're actually suffocating from all this snot. <laughs> mask. <laughs> um, are you ready, Will? For. Well, I want to say thank you so much for writing this book and for being really open about your grief and your process. Thank you for not listening to my advice about penguins, who I love penguins. I don't want people to think I don't like penguins. I love penguins and birds. I just, you know, I thought it was going to be hard. And then it was a challenge and you met the challenge and you were like, you want to see a penguin bring you to your knees in tears? Here you go. And it really did. Um, okay. I want to do a hard pivot from crying in your mask at therapy. Wait, did you ever start talking or you're still in the crying, paying to cry? No, I'm like talking
2: a little bit. I like, I can do a little bit at a time. Right now we're, right now we're in my dad. So (laughs) we'll come back to my mom.
0: (laughs) She gets more when she gets more of the tissues that have uh, the lotion in them.
2: Yeah. The chapped nostrils is the worst.
0: <laughs> you have to come with it inside the mask. <laughs> if you know that's going to be a mom day, you put some of that, you buffer the mask with some of the the lotion tissues.
2: Mm-hmm. And like Vaseline your nostrils ahead of time.
0: Now, see, these are some grief tips that people could use. <laughs> Vaseline your nostrils ahead of time. Maybe go to sleep with something like a cold compress on your eyes so that they'll open when you wake up.
2: Oh, yeah, I'm definitely a like waker upper with the eyes swollen shut person. Eduardo's like, you look like you've been crying. I'm like, yes.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> um. OK, so I listen to a podcast called Las Culturistas with Bo and Yang and Matt Rogers, and they have a segment called I Don't Think So, Honey. And that is a one minute segment where each of them basically gives a rant. For one minute. And that's my favorite part of their podcast. Sometimes I don't listen to anything else. I just skip to that part. And then I thought, Will's a vegan. I would like to begin a segment for the podcast that is a vegan version of I Don't Think So Honey. Um, And I, hold on. Okay. Oops. Let me really, let me one second. Okay. Will, do you have one? I do. do you want me to go first or do you want to go first?
2: I want to go first.
0: You want to go first? Yes. Okay. Um, let me get out my timer. Will Becky Brunswick, this is your I don't think so, honey. Your time starts now. Okay. The one thing that I would like is a
2: vegan frosted Pop-Tart I or toaster pastry. You can call it whatever you want but the frosted Pop-Tart brand Pop-Tarts have gelatin. And then the like organic nature's path frosted Pop-Tarts have whey and honey in them, not vegan. So like, it's just so unnecessary. Oh, and Kroger brand has like whey and gelatin. So they're definitely out. And like Bobo's ones are vegan, but they're not frosted and they just taste like a flattened Bobo bar. They're too thick. So I just feel like when I want a vegan f- pop tart, I don't want to make it from scratch. I love vegan baking, but like, I want to wrap it. I want to unwrap it from like a crinkly package. I might not even toast it. I'm not even going for the toaster. I'm just, just might even just eat it as is. And it doesn't seem that that far off. Um, I just would really like that. King supers mass produced. One thing I know that you are, I'm out of time. I'm out of time. And well, that's time.
0: no, <laughs> Keep going. What do you want to say?
2: <laughs> I did find one tasty pastry in researching for this rant. Um, it looked like a pop tart and it was vegan and it was frosted. But the first ingredient is protein blend, which is not what I'm looking for. <laughs>
0: that's not what I, that's not what anyone's looking for. There are some vegan pop tarts from like a bakery that are seven dollars. Frosted? Frosted. Yeah, I Uh, want them in
2: the grocery store. I want them like mass produce. I want to be able to use my little King Supers tag on my keychain to get like a discount when they're on sale.
0: Yeah, that's what we like here. Um, (laughs) Thank
2: you. Thank you for giving me the platform
0: finally. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to do one. I'm, I'm glad you finally have a platform for this. I really wanted you to be able to get that off your chest. I know that's been the real thing that's been haunting you. Okay. Here's my I don't think so, honey. Vegan version starting. You me to time you? Oh, sure. Okay. Let me know when my time starts. Are you ready? Go. I'm ready. I don't think so, honey. People believing articles planted by the meat and dairy industry to make them think that vegan products are ruining their lives. When actually what's ruining the product with the planet and taking up all the water and fucking things up is cows. God bless you, cows. But people making a lot of cows using so much water. Guess guess who planted the thing that almonds are a huge drain on water? Oh, guess who sponsored that those articles? Do you want to take a guess, everybody? It was the meat and dairy people. Oh, guess who started the misinformation that soy is gonna really fuck with everyone's estrogen. Everyone's gonna be just juiced on estrogen if they drink soy milk and it's gonna fuck up their lives. Guess who sponsored that bullshit research? The beef industry. Why? Because we're winning. Because people are starting to see plant alternatives and meat alternatives and they know it's better for their body and the earth and meat and dairy can't handle it. That's it. That's my time. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Will. Really appreciate yes.
2: Thank you for sharing that.
0: I feel like I'm living in like a weird, I live I live in a weird vortex where I feel like all the punk, like everybody saw Charlotte's Web as a kid. Everybody watched Pave. Everybody was like, don't kill the pig. Who were so relieved they didn't kill the pig. And then they grow up and they're like, bacon. And they're like eroticizing bacon. bacon. Pork belly, cheek, bacon. It makes me, it's like a real dissonance to me. And then the thing where people are like, I'm a critical thinker. I went to school for critical thinking. All I do is queer critical studies. And then they're like, "Gotta love meat. I love the meat industry. And did you hear almonds are taking up all the water and that soy is so bad for you? Love meat. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's a perfect food. What could be more perfect than meat? <laughs> what could be more better for the planet than like having like undocumented workers have to su- sever themselves from their souls? to like kill animals in horrible conditions as like the Tyson food plant is exploiting their labor. What could be better than that?
2: My dad sends me all the articles that are like, the best thing you could do for the environment is become vegan. And I'm like, thanks, dad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want you to know that my mom, so I started doing zines in high school and my mom thought I invented it. And that zine was my thing. So she would send me articles about zine. She'd be like, look, it's zine. Like if there was an article <laughs> in the paper about zines in general, she would send it to me because she thought I invented zines. Yeah. But does <laughs> not the same The communication
2: same via articles thing, I feel like, is, is a unique communication platform. <laughs> it's it's so- like, I see you doing this thing that is important to you and I'm going to connect to it, but... I'm not actually understanding it at all.
0: I still, I love it. I've, I appreciate being like, that's right. I'm the inventor of zine <laughs> and you being like, thanks dad for reinforcing my choices. Yeah. I see yeah. the article did nothing for you, but I appreciate the nut.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love, I mean, I love his articles. He sends me like anything that involving a trans person, a lesbian, uh, something vegan, uh, queer people running like i'm like yes 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 you see me
0: i love that i want to see this clippings binder that you have somewhere that's like two lesbians exist ah
2: yes yes it was one i remember one that was like a lesbian riding a tricycle he was like i
0: thought <laughs> thought of you You're like this is perfect thank you so much yeah um well do you have any Advice for young cartoonists. Do you have any advice for cartoonists? Do you have any advice? Yeah, that's my first, that's my first last question.
2: (laughs) Advice for young cartoonists.
0: Or any cartoonists.
2: I feel like so much of my advice is like recycled other people's advice because I'm like definitely a taker inner of advice. And so I'm not sure how much of it is like unique to my own uh, existence, but I feel like the... Linda Berry concepts that came from Linda Berry to you, to me, and now back to you are (laughs) around like your art just getting to exist in the world. And if someone says you like it, it still exists as your art. And if someone says they don't like it, still exists. And that doesn't change the art at all. And the like, your art is none of your business like other people's opinions of your art is none of your business that has just been so liberating for me to just make art and just keep making art. And sometimes I make something and I'm like, that's terrible. And then the art still exists and I still exist and nothing is impacted at all because I made a terrible piece of art.
0: Yeah. And it may not be objectively terrible. Yeah,
2: totally. And it's just, but that doesn't matter. Like I like, it It has no change. It does not change the piece of art at all what I think of it. And that has just helps me like, just create art that I create. It's not even necessarily art that I want to create. It's just art that comes out of me and, and just let it exist. And sometimes like, it's something that at one point I thought was beautiful. And then I did something to it and made it bad still doesn't matter. Like,
0: (laughs) it just gets to be there. Yeah. Your art has rights. (laughs) It has rights to exist.
2: And, and I feel like the other piece of art piece of art advice is, I don't know if this is like advice for other people, but it's really helped me is to make art that's not comics too. Mm, And mm -hmm. like have spend time making not comic art because it just, brings me joy and like I can extend that same attitude towards my comics towards all of my art and be like oh cool I'm going to make a watercolor at my kitchen table where every color blends together and it becomes like a muddy mess and then I'm going to like put a postcard on it and send it to a friend
0: that's perfect yeah that's perfect um and then do you have, I guess that's it. Do you have any, uh, any, anything else you want to say? Anything else you want listeners to know in the whole wide world?
2: Wow. Wow.
0: I know. Um, I know. Grief, vegan food, running penguins. I mean, anything. Chihuahuas.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, those are all the things that like
0: excite me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I
2: think that um yeah, if you want me to make a comic series about math, uh, you gotta help me out a little bit. I I'm I need a little more enthusiasm for that series.
0: From just listeners or anyone or the, the universe? The wide, wider
2: what? world. Uh yeah, really anyone if someone is like, yeah, I'm really excited to read that. I'm just a sort of externally motivated person. Mm. It's, it's hard for me to motivate, to, to make some art that I think no one will care about, like regardless of if it's good or bad, just like completely not cared about. Uh,
0: you used to be a math teacher. Yes. (laughs) You're trained as a math teacher. And now you're a cartoonist. So you want to do like a series of books about math, like instructional books about math or like adult theory books about math or like what, what are we talking about here?
2: Uh, I mean, I, mostly pre-calculus is what I spend most of my time doing both as a, as a high school teacher and um as like a math tutor that I currently still work as. Um, And so, because like, if, Students are in algebra two. It's just like similar topics to precalculus. So really, like I just feel like precalculus is ninety percent of what kids get stuck on in high school. So something about precalculus, I don't know. If you're like psyched to see a comic about something, let me know. If you're, I made one about logarithms. I felt very good about it, but then the series ended there. Um. So any any math topics that you really want to see a, a comic form of would be helpful or yeah or just if someone was like hey i really want to know your thoughts on on um precalculus curriculums i would be like yeah 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 let me make a comic on that but no one's knocking on my door asking me for it
0: i just think it might be the wrong the wrong doors i just <laughs> i i feel like there's a i feel like there's a lid for every pot and i feel like there's there's a match for this yeah i think that somebody's going to be excited about this
2: Okay. That's why I'm putting it into the universe.
0: Okay. So if they are excited about it, they can direct message you on Instagram.
2: No, I turned off all that. No one can direct message me.
0: Okay, great. They just need to vibe it or. or what?
2: Vibe it or like go to my website and, and go to the contact form on my website. You have to, I, that's maybe this is part of the problem is you really had to be committed.
0: <laughs> you have to actually be one of Will's neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> <to> go <laughs> knock on the door.
2: Yes. Or, or, uh, tell the
0: pot, tell the pot you can, you can DM Sagittarius matters and, uh, we'll find a way to get the information.
2: So generous of you. Yeah.
0: We'll be, I mean, I know it's going to be a pretty overwhelming, uh, but we'll try to keep up with the the people, you know, speaking out for math.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. I mean, even just when we were talking about grief being non-linear, I wanted to start talking in math. And then I was like, Hold it back.
0: <laughs> maybe you can. Maybe that's part of your brand. Yeah. Now. Maybe
2: that's it. Maybe it's a, <laughs> about grief being non-linear and other forms of like non-linear explorations of. Yeah, I also want to be like it's not just non-linear; it's non-continuous. Like it's is discrete math over here.
0: Oh yeah. See, somebody listening knows what you're talking about, and they're <laughs> like, "Yeah, exactly." Like exactly. driving.
2: Like the world is continuous, but grief is not. Mm. Like voting, voting is not continuous, you know, like grief is more in the voting category than the like driving category.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, no, I lost you. <laughs> see,
0: see, this is the problem. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Panyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.